I'm thankful to be here and to be and to have this opportunity with you. And for those of you who don't know me, I see I see a handful of uh, faces as as well wishers from. Uh, from Lakeview, it's good to see uh, your smiling faces here. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm, I'm transitioning out of ministry. I'm in the process of doing that um, over the next couple years. And, um, and that kind of closes a chapter of 20 years of full-time ministry for me. Uh, so it's kind of strange. To, but, but, but to understand uh, the stresses of ministry, I got that down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, got that one. Um, <clears throat> so a couple of things. Uh, first of all, one thing you don't have to tell me after I get done, you don't have to come up to me and say, well, you preach in a really weird way. I'll tell you, almost everybody comes up to me after I give a lesson like, you're a weird preacher. I'm like, well, you're weird too. <laughs> We've already had that exchange now. And, and I'm going to apologize already to uh, poor Brother Ron, who is, who is over there. I'm used to, if I have a PowerPoint slide, I'm used to advancing it myself. You know, uh, that, that tells you I'm a control freak. I need, I need the slides to advance exactly when I need them. And he goes, we don't have that capability. I'm like, well, here's my outline. Good luck. He's like, well, you're going to gesture for me? Uh-uh, you're on your own. You're going to drown, buddy. When it's, when it's time for a slide, I'm just hitting and moving. Anyway, uh, so we'll we'll see how we do, but I'm sure I'm sure that we're going to have um, I'm sure we're going to be edified in God's word this morning. We're going to be in John chapter one, and I encourage you to turn to John chapter one. You know, um, every one of the gospels, every every gospel writer has to figure out what is most important to the message that they're communicating about who Jesus is. Oh, this moves. It's unfortunate that I learned that. All right. Okay. Every, every, gospel, every gospel writer has to figure out what they're going to communicate as the first and most important thing about who Jesus is, right? And, and Mark and Matthew and uh, Luke all communicate it differently. For Mark, you don't even know who Jesus is. He just appears on the scene and he is a man of action and he is doing things. And so as Mark communicates the gospel, what's most important about Christ is that we see what he does and what he accomplishes. Now you look at both Luke and Matthew and they start, they back up a little bit. They tell you the story about who Jesus is, where he came from, who his parents were, and both Luke and Matthew actually back up and they tell you a little bit more than that. Both of them have a genealogy. Uh, Matthew will go all the way back to Abraham so you know and you can see that, uh, that Christ is the fulfillment of the promise of Abraham. Right? Luke goes further than that. He gets all the way back to Adam and he's like, yeah, see, Jesus is not just a Messiah for the Jews, but he's the savior of everyone. Now you get to John's gospel and John starts it off in a completely different way. Right? John isn't satisfied that you know who Jesus is and who he was born to and who his parents are. That's how you know me. No, John, John goes all the way back and he starts by saying, in the beginning, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And and I don't know if there's any place in all of Scripture that you can find a confession of Christ that is so theologically dense, right? In the beginning, and if you grew up as a Jewish child, you already know what's supposed to come after that. In the beginning... God, right? But he says, in the beginning was the Word. Amen. The Word was with God, 
and the Word was God. And by the time you get to verse uh, 14 in John chapter 1, there's no question that the Word here is Christ, right? Okay, so he makes this claim that Jesus is there at the very beginning, which is crazy because you've never read Genesis this way before, but let me go, let me go back and see if you can find Jesus in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, right? Okay. I'm going to start reading it. And if your hand works, I want you to raise your hand when you hear Jesus. Right? Man, they put a whole bunch of blank pages in front of them. All right, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Ready? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said... You have broken hands? And God said... Let there be light. And there was light. Now, the confession that John makes about who Jesus is, it doesn't start with his parents. He goes all the way back and he says, In the beginning was... Now, if you had read through these scriptures, you already knew that God the Father was there. You already knew that the Spirit was there because the Spirit was hovering over the waters. But what you didn't notice until John breaks it out for us is that at the beginning, God spoke. And the very power of the words that God spoke out were Christ. Jesus was there. He says, uh, he says In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And he wants to start uh, with maybe the strongest argument anyone has ever made about the deity of Christ, the preeminence of Christ, and the preexistence of Christ. Jesus was there. Not only was Jesus there, but all of this, everything that you have ever seen that has come into existence has done it through the power of the word, which is Jesus. Now, this is, this is not, uh, this is not the only place in the scripture where you can find that. Hebrews chapter one, verses two and three. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Colossians 1, 16 through 18. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him holds all things together. All right. Now, and, and I have two more that I'm not going to read for you, but at least five times in scripture, at least five times, we see biblical authors clearly communicating that Jesus has a preeminence in all of creation. He preexisted all of creation and it is through the power of Christ that all of creation came about. In other words, when God spoke, that was Jesus. That's Jesus. So when John begins his gospel by telling you maybe what is most important to know about Christ, it's not that he was born in Bethlehem and it's not that he had a mother named Mary. Those are all important. They're all recorded. 
But Jesus is the very Word of God. Now, every time you open up a text, this is, this is, this is me. Uh, every time we open up a text and we read from the Word of God, the question I have when I put together a sermon is this. What claim does the text make? What claim does the text make upon me as a reader, upon us as the hearer? What claim is John making by proclaiming that Jesus is the Word? One of the frustrating things about how John writes his gospel is that he's just not a linear person who writes it all out. Come on, John, just, just, just give it to me straight. No, you know, no, there's simile, there's likeness. In fact, in John, as I've, I've gone through and studied, I see uh, t- at least 10 different places where John uh, gives us a portrait, a, a glimpse of who Jesus, and he paints a picture. Um, um, some of them, seven of those are the I am statements of Jesus. I am the bread of life. I am the living water, right? Um, I, uh, and yet, there are others that John makes that are simply um, a description of Jesus, and Jesus doesn't make that claim as he's teaching. Uh, John, John goes through and he makes these major blocks, these vignettes of these images of God, the very fir- uh, these images of Jesus. And the very first one is that Jesus is the Word. Now, here's where I get into uncomfortable territory for us all. I believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Absolutely. I believe it is authoritative for what we believe, what we teach, who we are, and what we know to be true. What it says is true is true. What it says is false is false. Right? The Word of God is the final authority. Uh, But... (laughs) <laughs> I just did it. Man, it, it's hard to unprogram several years. Okay, the problem is Scripture is the Word of God, but the Word of God, the Word of God is not just Scripture. Now, it's tough for us because we use those two as an equivalence all the time. Well, what does the Word of God say? Well, uh, well, the Bible is filled with the instructions of the Lord, and uh, the Bible is filled with the Word of God. It's a recorded uh, prophecy of many of God's prophets. It's a recorded words of all the apostles and, and the words that Jesus left. And yet, while we have the Word of God here, this is not just the Word of God. The Word, the idea of the Word of God is so much bigger than just the Bible. And that's why in Genesis, when God spoke, things happened. Right? They happened. When John goes to try to tell you the most important thing about Jesus, it is that he is the very Word of God. Which means you can expect that Jesus comes with power. You realize that that is one one claim that God has made very consistently is that his word 
has power. All the way in Genesis, God spoke and there it was. 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 And all of these realities that you and I know and understand, these are the product not of his hands, but of his word. Speaking and the very power of his character bringing it into being. In Isaiah, (laughs) Isaiah 55, uh, chapter 55, verse 10 says, So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish what I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You know, even then, all the way, all the way back when, uh, when, uh, the Jews were in Babylonian captivity, right? And they're sitting here going, well, God made us a promise. He promised that we were going to be a nation of privilege, that we were going to be uh, that our descendants were going to multiply, that we were going to, uh, th- that we were going to be the privileged people, right? And here we are. He made that promise while we were in Egypt. He brought us out into the wilderness. We wandered around for a while. He gave us the promised land, and then we were conquered. And then we were conquered. And then we were drug off into Babylon. And Isaiah, towards the latter half of his book, is writing to this group of people who believe that they're supposed to receive the promise of God, and yet it sure doesn't look like the promise of God is here. Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah, on and on and on, writes to these people who are in Babylonian captivity, and he says, don't you know that you can trust in the covenant, the promises of a God who comes into covenant with you? If, if his word has the power, if his word has the power to bring everything else about, don't you think he can keep his covenant when he comes into a promise with people? Right? What weight do we give the promises of God, even if they don't look like they're being fulfilled? We give them every weight because his word succeeds in what he sends it out to do. Right, so the word of God has the power to accomplish things. I was actually just in a text uh, last week, uh, Isaiah 40, verses 7 and 8, where he says, The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The flowers wither, uh, the, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. When God makes a promise and he cannot lie and he does have the power to fulfill it, he will. What an incredible thing to be in covenant with that God. Right? So he says in John chapter 1, I'm going to go back. Back to John chapter 1. We were there, right? We'll go back there. Right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him there was not anything that was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You, you might have a different translation in yours. The, the darkness has not comprehended it. Darkness maybe has not understood it. And the ESV, uh, and a handful of other translations, translate this as, has overcome it, right? Um, <laughs> that's, there's a really broad range in English between those two words. Um, it, it is, it is uh, the word that is used here. Oh, here, I've, I actually, I've got that on a slide. The word here is 
catalambano, and it means literally to lay hold of so as to make one's own, to obtain, to attain to, to make one's own, or to make uh, oneself, or to appropriate. Okay, so it is used in the Bible of a spirit possessing a person. It is also used in the way that uh, God's spirit actually controls who we are when we put on Christ. Amen. Right? Okay. So this idea, it means it has not been able to take hold of and overcome something. Right? So what he's doing here is, in John, he's painting this picture. He's, he's giving us a prelude of what we're going to find in the rest of the book. He actually does this three times. The, fir- the very first one is this one that we just read. The light shines in the darkness. Who is Jesus? He is the word of God and he is the light. And he comes and he shines into darkness, right? All of the Jews, the entire world, he's shining into darkness. And he says, the darkness has not come into complete control. Now, here's why that's important. Because if you go back and you read, if you, if you know how the book ends, if you know how the book ends, it sure seems like the mission of Jesus was on the ropes. Right? Evil men put him on the cross, crucified him. At the time that John is writing this, and even today, there are people who can look at the mission and the purpose and the ministry of Christ and say it was a failure. And he says, but the darkness has not overcome the light. Okay. The, the second place he does this uh, is he, he starts in verse 9, chapter 1, verse 9. He says, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is his synopsis again of the gospel. Um, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor the will of man. But God, here's his second synopsis of the life and ministry of Jesus. Jesus comes. He comes to his very own, to his own people. And they reject him. And so only some will receive him. And to those who do, they become children of God. And here's the last one, the last time he summarizes this. And he goes back to this image of the word. He says, and the word, verse 14, and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And he says, here, here is again the final summary. He, we have seen the glory of Christ. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. He started with the word. What happens with the word? The word becomes. Do you, do you, can you even process 
That one sentence, right? In the beginning was the Word. This is the power of God. He spoke and everything came into being, right? All of creation, all of flesh, everything that was given life, everything that creeps, everything, even, even the laws of gravity, right? All of this, this all was created through the power of the Word of God. He created it. And now, at this place, when all of creation is groaning, He, the Word, the power of God, takes on flesh and participates in His creation. You know, I'm happy to build an ant colony, but I'm not happy to live in it. The Word takes on flesh. Okay. Because when you start to read through what Scripture claims about Christ, you've got to know that the stakes are high, right? He's come, and He's going to be rejected, and He'll look like a failure, but inside of that, inside of that is the power of God. There's one other place uh, where in John, in the book of John, he wrestles with, with this idea of the word. And, and it's actually funny because if you read through it, you might actually miss the vocabulary that's going on here. In John chapter 8, he revisits this idea. In fact, you'll find that all throughout the gospel of John, he refers to the word regularly. Uh, word singular, not plural. Not just the words, but the word, right? Um, But you get to John chapter 8, and he actually spends a good amount of time wrestling with this idea of the Word of God. What is the Word of God, according to John? He says, um, and and it's scattered throughout the entire chapter, starting with about verse 31, and it goes on all the way to the very end. And and if you've read through um, the Gospel of John in chapter 8, you're already going to notice that this kind of walks all over a handful of different subtitles in your Bible. Mine says, oh, the truth will set you free. These first verses are about the truth setting you free. The second set, your father is of the devil. Jesus had the nicest way of talking to people. Um, And then at the very end, uh, Jesus claims his own divinity before Abraham was, I am. You remember these, these texts if you've read through them? Okay. And scattered throughout all of these, Jesus is trying to engage them to understand what his role is as the word of God. Uh, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Verse 31. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you uh, do what you have heard from your father. Verse 43. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Now, you'll notice already there's there's more as we go on, right? Uh, But you'll notice he's doing this weird thing uh, where you'd expect him to use the word words, plural. He does it a couple times in this text, but almost always it's singular, right? You cannot receive my word. You cannot receive my word. You cannot receive my word. And he's referring to the things that he's speaking and teaching and preaching, right? There, there is a parallel meaning that I think runs throughout this entire chapter as Jesus goes and he preaches and he teaches and people hear him, but they don't receive him. 
right? You can't hear my word when I speak the words. And now we come to a a really sharp understanding of what it means when Jesus is the word of God. Because we know that it already means when, when God speaks, it means power. God says, my words will not return to me empty. We already saw the example in Genesis when he spoke and everything came into existence. Now the word became flesh, dwelt among us, but he also taught. Now the problem in John chapter 8 is that people could not receive his teaching. And when they could not receive his teaching, they could not receive the power behind it. Okay, so at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, God spoke, and behind that was power, and things came into being. Here, in John, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 1. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. And dwelled among us. I'm not ready for that just yet. I'll, I'll get there in just a second. Yeah. Uh, all right. And so here you have the exact same thing with the incarnation of Christ. The Word became flesh, right? He dwelt among us. You have the exact same opportunity. Do you, do, you, do you realize how many times I have read through Genesis chapter 1 and gone, what would it have been like? Right? To hear somebody speak, I mean, like even just his voice, but to hear someone speak and the power of his character and his voice brings it into being. What would that be like? I can't be the only one who's thought about that, right? Right. And John says, that same power, that same power came on earth and he took on flesh. That same power to speak and life came out of nothing. That, that same power came on earth, took on flesh. The word became flesh. Now the difference is not that it doesn't contain the power, but, but that you and I have a responsibility as we encounter the word. Jesus is the same power for life that God spoke the world into existence. But because he took on flesh and he walked and he spoke and he taught, we now have to interact with this. What do you do with this? The teachings of Christ. The life of Christ. Do you look at it as though it has already been defeated? He was killed and put in a tomb. Or has the darkness not overcome it? And this is wildly consistent with uh, everything everything that John has already said. In 1 John 1, verse 1, he introduces introduces his epistle, 1 John, the same way he introduces the Gospel of John. Do you realize that? How much overlap there is between those? In 1 John 1, 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now, in the Gospel of John and also in the book of 1 John, here's what you need to know. Everything that flows from this point in the Gospel of John is a testimony about who 
this man is. Read it. Learn it. Understand it. Because in this life, the life of Christ, is the power of God for life. John 1.14 as a parallel. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. And if I, had, if I had more time, which I don't, and the church said. <laughs> this, this, this hope to see the glory of God. This hope to see the glory of God. John says, we have. John says, those of us who have walked with him and been taught by him, those of us who write these books and we testify to what we've seen, we have seen the glory of God. And so, in John chapter 1, it's, it's a wake-up call. He says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And, and, and he's setting up the stage so that we know that everything else that we read in this book, this, this is a testimony to the power of God sending Christ on earth. Now, the question that I kind of want to leave us with this morning. What will you do with that? I mean, it's a question we ask our neighbors and our friends. What will you do with that confession that in Christ, in Christ is the power of God for life? He is the very word of God. And there and 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 he has the power, even today, to create a new life in you. The question I have for you is, what will you do with that? Um, are, Are you prepared to respond to the claim that John makes that Jesus is indeed the word of God and in him is life? And if you've never put on Christ in baptism... There is a great opportunity this morning. And if you've never experienced this newness of life that Scripture talks about, that I believe is contained in the Word of God, Word being Christ, I I would invite you to respond to the invitation in just a second to find somebody here who can pray with you and see how your life can be enriched as a new life in Christ. If, If you need to respond to the invitation... It's open. You have an opportunity. Won't you let us know how we can serve you as together we stand and sing.